Is that real paint? Or is it just a show? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's real. I didn't put it on there. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. sure I paid more for these pants as a result sure, of their being yeah. paint on there. I get made fun of quite it's often, stylish. but I actually really like them. Well, because you do flips. I mean, people have no idea. I don't know. I just like the paint on it. I had these pants like a million years ago, and I feel like I'm bringing back a trend. Pretty soon you're going to see paint on pants everywhere. Yeah. No, Greg? I think so. You could have done if anyone asks you to do something, you would like get pants and just put paint on it. But the thing is, is, it's too perfect. It's, That's the problem. It's selvage khaki. You know what selvage khaki is? It's khaki that lasts forever. You see what happened to Scott's pants? Right? They're, exactly, but they're not. Selvage is like a really like densely woven Japanese fabric, so like it doesn't rip. You had regular khakis. I could rip I mean, if you wanted to, but like it. You know what? Yeah, kid, welcome, welcome to be back to another episode of Smells Like Cappy with Handsome. I'm your host, Charles Moyerub, aka the Handsome Home Buyer, aka Captain Permit. That's it, bro. What do you mean that's it? That's a crazy intro. No, there used to be like a bunch of other Spanish ones like El Judio Maravilloso, but like we just decided to not get rid of it. And then what's her name? What is her name? Catherine Trent, who I love, named me El Chulo de las Casas. El what? El chulo de las casas. What the hell does that mean? It means like the pop, like, you know what a poppy is? No. Like the poppy? There's no Spanish in you at all, right? Zero. No, Nothing. zero. A poppy is like a handsome kind of like, like you're a poppy. Like every Spanish lady wants to date. Like oh, a, like, like I thought a, you meant like, like a, a poppy seed. No, not like a poppy. Like, like, like poppy. Yeah, like, poppy. Yeah, poppy. Yeah, yeah. of course, of course. <laughs> So I'm that guy with the houses. I, I, I don't know. She was probably humoring me, but we, it used to be a much longer intro. Now we're closing it down because gotcha. we want to keep it to 30 minutes. Cool. That's what we'll do. Bro, great to connect with you. So Thank you for having me. So many things happened off camera that we want to bring on camera. So, so for everybody who knows, Madison Mortgage, right? Yes. You're known for all the crazy um, social media marketing you're doing, which is amazing. You're doing a really great job. Thank you, man. Appreciate I've that. been admiring her for probably the last six months. Is that an accurate statement? Or has it been going longer and I just it's, didn't see it until six months it, ago? It's been on and off for four or five years. You've, yeah, well, how, how recently, because you, you stepped it up yeah. recently. How, how recent? Uh, I would say the past couple months to okay. just change the content to more short form. Okay. Right. Versus because what I used to do. So like back in 2018 is when I started doing video content. And at okay. this time. Shit. That's no, a long time ago. No, no one, one was, was doing, doing video content. I was the only one. Bro, there's like two mortgage people that do it today in 2022. Which is embarrassing in our market. Like what the hell is wrong with you? It's the easiest thing to do. People are scared of the camera. Why are you scared of the camera? You know, it's like, it's just a you know, camera. No one cares. No one gives a shit about what you look like during a video like people think that like people sit analyze and see if you stuttered or you moved weird or something but at the end of the day no one truly gives a shit there's so much content that you're competing with so what I often get is like Ben it's easy for you because you're British and extremely charming and extremely handsome but the reality is I don't think any of that the the truth is is that I realize that no one actually gives a fuck and the sooner you realize that yes, you'll be free to post whatever you want to post everybody is too busy being insecure about their own personal shit yeah so you're a very lucky man for a you are hold on you wait say so i said you're british you're 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 the british mortgage broker. you said you are new york's favorite british mortgage broker yeah madison mortgage number one brokerage in new york state that's right right yeah. you are 
I mean, A, I feel like I'm looking at my doppelganger right now. Just my way smoother sounding. Like, A, you're Jew. Like, you are a very lucky man. I am. On a lot of different levels, right? Yeah. Jewish, handsome, number Thank one mower broker. Dude, listening to you speak is like a sonnet. <laughs> it's like listening to like, it's just poetry, bro. Thank you. It's poetry. I do take advantage of it, by all means. I mean... Men and women definitely melt. Yes. Um, I'd say more men than women, actually. You know, like, <laughs> Whatever. I'm, I'm talking about like straight men, too. It's like Ben's like... I'm, fucking, yeah. I'm, I'm one of them. Yeah, it's like, you know, dudes that work out in the gym expecting like if you get freaking Jack that you're gonna get all these girls. It's like, mm -hmm. no, you get all the dudes coming up to you asking you for advice. So that's what I get all the time. I mean, because the British thing, it, it goes a long way, don't get me wrong, but after you get to know me, you just realize I'm a dude with an accent. I'm not like some special being or whatever. It's just, it's just an accent. Who guys. bears a striking resemblance to Andrew Tate. Yes. So again, I only, we've never really spoken before, which is cool that we get to chop it up here, right? And obviously you've been in the mortgage world, how many years? Uh, January will be 10 years for me. 10, right. Give us like the 60 second high level overview of where you came from and how you got to where you are and what you're doing. So I was brought into the business by my mentor and CEO of Madison Mortgage, Shah Tarani, mm -hmm. who taught me everything. I was like his licensed loan officer assistant for four years. And I didn't really, I did some sales here and there, but I was mostly working on his deals. So number one thing as a loan officer is that you have to know how to structure deals. And I had zero sales acumen as well, despite my accent. So I needed to learn how to sell and I needed to learn the mortgage business inside out. And then after a while, I was like, how do I take this stuff to the next level? I wasn't cr closing crazy volume, anywhere from three to five deals a month, like the average LO in uh, Long Island. And then about four years ago, no, yeah, this was 2018, is that I started to step it up with video marketing, which again, at the time, no one was doing. Realtors weren't doing it, loan officers weren't doing it. Mm -hmm. So once I started doing that, I started to get a lot of recognition, not just in like the local market, but okay. across the country with other mortgage brokers. Okay, So what did that do for you? I mean, obviously the local market, I get it, but what did being recognized by out-of-state Mortgage brokers do so this is something that people don't really think of is that I would get a lot of recommendations or and I still do to this day for referrals from mortgage originators from out of state. Really? So I think there's I forget the exact exact statistic, but something like 20 percent of people in the entire country have lived in New York at one time or another. No shit. Yeah, something like that. So. If you connect with people out of state, especially like people in Florida or California, they're more like to, likely to have lived in New York. You're going to be very you know, high on that list to mm -hmm. get a referral. So a lot of my business doesn't even come from them. It's a mix of like, I'd say probably 50% realtors in the local New York market, random people on social media, then maybe 10, 20% is other loan officers in other states. So you have, so you have 10 to 20%, all right, so you have 50% local realtors. Then you have roughly 30% coming in off of random stuff off of like Instagram and stuff. Yeah. Wow. 30% of your business is coming in just off random ass people who are seeing you do funny shit on Instagram? No. So it's people that see me and see my content of, over a long period of time. And then they may not need a mortgage specifically, but they know someone who does. Okay. So it's like, 
I know, count that though as being. Oh, I absolutely count okay. that because I track everything. I'm like, so how do you get my information? So and so recommended you. They saw you on social media, right? Because the the fantasy for a loan officer when it comes to doing social media marketing is I'm going to put out a couple videos and like referrals will just flood. No. That isn't what happens whatsoever. It doesn't happen to me. Does it happen once in a while? Sure, but banking on that is the wrong like mindset to approach it because you'll stop doing it after a month. What happens is just people get familiar with you and yeah. when it comes to thinking of mortgages in New York, they think Ben. Okay, it's just what I want. It's touch points. Right? So it's like you have to be touching you have to touch someone five, six, seven times in order for them to work with you. Have an orgasm, yeah. I, I, <laughs> so, so I mean you gotta get to touching. Yeah. Get 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 to touching. So Ironically, you look like a very calm, well-rested man for being a loan officer at this particular juncture in the real estate world. Meaning, before this, it was fucking pandemonium for two years. Yeah, it was nice. Right? You probably didn't sleep. Loved it was it. it was refis. It was just like just money was pouring in, and then now it's just like, oh dear God, is the world going to melt down? Yeah. So. I'm really calm because my pipeline is still strong. I just had mm -hmm. a great month last month. We closed 18 loans, my team, for nice. 10.8 million. So it was a very, very strong month. And, you know, I think my strongest month during COVID, actually it was last year, it was June of last year, it was 33 closings in one month for 18 point something million. That's awesome. So it was, it was great. It was absolutely great. But obviously the market has shifted. So. What I'm getting at is the reason why I'm so calm and the statistic that I wanted to bring up is that during COVID, my split between purchase and refi was 70 and 30. 70 refi? No, 70 purchase. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I wasn't like hammering refis. Oh, you were not a heavy refi guy. Got it. No, it's like if it, no, I reached out to my clients if there was a benefit, yeah, of which 99% of them there was. Yes. But still staying focused on the purchase market. Is which is smart. What, yeah, it kept, it's keeping us strong now. So what's happening is I'm sure you're aware, all these loan officers are scrambling, like how do I get purchase business? And it's like, yeah, you should have, you know, nurtured your realtor relationships a year, two years ago, not started again now. And now, you know, they're freaking out and they're fucked. There's also a lot of people that came into the industry that, you know, just came in because they're like, oh, it's raining money. I'm just going to bang phone calls and do refis and all that stuff. Yeah, they're screwed. So, the exception of a few that will survive. So my question to you is this. Since they bump rates like a month and a half ago, right? Yeah. Have you seen a decrease in the amount of people coming in for pre-approvals and people just dropping out? And if so, how much? Um, not that many people dropping out. I would say that the application count has definitely decreased, but it spiked again recently because rates came down. So yeah, rates came, I, I guess the sweet spot for like serious activity seems to be about the mid fives. Or yeah. maybe people are just getting acclimated to a, a rate raise. Th that's exactly what it is because they see all the hype in the media and they get scared. And then after about a month or so, they calm down. They feel like the market's stabilizing a bit and they're like, okay, it seems to be a little bit more predictable. I'm going to jump back in. So what have you seen? What kind of reduction have you seen in demand? Uh, just purchase business. I would say maybe 10, 15%. That's not bad. Yeah, it's not terrible. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it, especially like year over year as well. I think overall we're down like 10, 15%, or at least I am. But right? that's down from a crazy high yeah, of, yeah. of a market that wasn't sustainable. Yeah, whereas exactly. And most people were slinging refis back then. And again, they're, they're scrambling. So we're, we're happy. You having problems with appraisals? No. 
No, we, I mean, we definitely have. I'd say the, the biggest problems with appraisals was during the beginning of COVID mm -hmm. when the market spiked, right? And trying yeah. to bring those numbers in, but these days, not at all. Why, are you? Uh, no, not at all. I'm just curious to know. Yeah. No, I mean, the market's got to adjust. It's going to be like three to six months of, yeah, you can, you can, you're going to have to take lower numbers, but you can get crazy sellers concessions because the comps are there until six months from now when everything starts to shift a little bit. Because I've already seen 5% drop. Really? I've seen a 5% drop in sale prices. Oh, uh, okay. No, that I've seen. I've seen, but not the appraisals themselves. No, no, I've no. Just no. Seen, yeah. It hasn't, because they haven't closed yet. It's going to take a while. It's yeah. going to take to the end of the year at least, right? But as far as like, I'm like, all right, I thought it was going to sell at this. Oh no, it's selling at 5% less. Got it. That's what I'm saying. But I assume that you predicted that. I mean, you're doing God knows how many flips, right? So, <sighs> yeah, you, I mean, there's a lot of video of me talking about like the decline and when it's going to happen. I actually thought it was going to happen next year. I didn't think it was going to be as fast. Mm. The 5% doesn't like put me underwater. It's just some houses get jacked up because, so you had a scenario where we were building houses at the time where lumber was like $15 for a two by four. Mm. And then we finally get it done and then stuff starts to come down. So it's like, oh, that sucks. Got it. We're not going to make money on that one. But yeah. I'm happy to get rid of it and make enough to take you out to dinner and be done. Oh, thanks, man. Because sometimes, that, that. That, sometimes that's just the way it happens, right? Yeah, I'm going to take you up on that. It's a grown, it's, it's a grown man's game. Yeah. Why, what's your favorite food? Steak. Yeah? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Nice porterhouse steak, classic, medium rare. You're just, you're a simple man. Yeah, easy. Right. I'm yeah. the same way. Guys in general are pretty simple. Yeah, we don't like to make things complicated. What's the point? Sometimes we do. How? No, maybe not. No? Yeah? No? Not me. All right. Yeah. Easy. Routine. Bang, bang, bang. On to the next. How old were you when you came over here? 14. I was 14 years old. Yeah. And you, and you still got the accent strong. Uh, to, to you, it's strong. To like to Americans, I sound British. And mm -hmm. to British people, I sound American. Yeah. So And then like, Ben, your accent has completely gone. But like, when you go back. 100%. When you go oh, back. It, it comes back within a week. Yeah. Within a week when I'm hanging. Like I had my childhood best friends like come to visit a couple months ago. And it was just at first it was like, yeah, Ben, your accent's completely gone. And three days later, it's like. All right, you're good. Keep, keep it you're as one of long us. as you can. You're, yeah, you're one of us. You back <laughs> Why did you come to the States? So, back to the Jew thing. Because uh, <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, we experienced, my parents did, and I did as well, experienced uh, quite a bit of anti-Semitism in England. Wow. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it was affecting their business. And, you know, I ran wow. into quite... What business was this? What kind of business? Uh, Persian rug business. No so shit. My mom is Persian. My dad is uh, Polish and Russian. Okay. So, yeah, so she works wow. in the rug business. anti-Semitism yeah. in Britain? Oh, you have no idea. 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, and apparently it's only gotten really? worse uh, since I left. Haven't we been through enough? Crazy, right? What the fuck? So that was the main reason. And then we moved to Great Neck. Okay. Right, which is filled with Persian Jews, it so we make, felt very, very welcome and very happy, sense. and uh, and that was life. Do you, you speak know? Hebrew? Mm, when I'm really shit faced, but otherwise no. <laughs> no, I speak zero languages, which everyone is super surprised by because I'm like you know all this background international man of mystery, but I'm a simple guy. <laughs> what would you say is your? Everybody does something extremely well in what they do, right? So in the mortgage world, what would you say is like, is your shtick, is your like super secret power? There are many. So I'd say the number one thing is I can read people, like read clients in terms of what they're trying to accomplish before they can even say it. So consumers 
these days especially, but in general, have a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety when it comes to approaching buying a home. Okay. So why is it just because things are changing or just in general it's stressful? I just think they have a false expectation because of reality TV and especially in New York where the average closing is 45 days to 90 days. Okay. Right. It's, it's very stressful. Like out of state deals, they close so quick. It's, it's easy. Right. But they think it's like, okay, you know, you sign the contract, you're done. It's like, no, you have to place the offer. You're getting a bunch of offers rejected. You have to compete, increase, they don't understand like contracts, attorneys, title. They don't understand any of this stuff. So I don't like lay the entire process out from them from start to finish. I do within reason because mm -hmm. you don't want to overwhelm them with information. But it's really just telling them up front like, hey, the home buying process can be stressful. We're going to take as much stress out of it as possible. Being a control freak is not going to work for you. It's just going to lead to disaster and you need to let go of that now. Otherwise, you're not going to have fun and I'm not going to have fun. You're probably going to kill me or I'm going to kill you. I mean, we can see who kills each other first. And they're like, you know what, Ben, thanks for saying that. You're the only person that has even said that to me because a lot of loan officers are like, yeah, it's easy, you know, from start to finish, lowest rates, lowest closing costs. I'm like, no, your closing costs are probably going to be this. I need you to leave because of, you know, pickups and adjustments, you know, leave a little room for maybe two, three grand. If they come in lower, great, but I need you to be prepared for that. When you're pre-qualifying, so, I mean, that's awesome that you do that because like you said, no loan officer does that, right? Yeah. When you're pre-qualifying these people, my, my biggest thing with the general public is, and I think this is due to the fact that they just don't understand, like you were saying before, is they'll, people will get approved for stuff that is like, that is scary. Like what, what, what can you ratchet somebody's DTI up to if, like if, as far as the letter of the law allows? So conventional, 49.9, 49.9, unless it's Freddie Mac, then you can go up to 50.49 because it rounds down to a 50. FHA, you could do 46.99 front, 56.99 back, and then VA, you can go up into the 70s. And this, yeah. And this is gross. This is against their gross, right? Gross income, which if you ask me is batshit fucking insane. Wait, how can you go up into the 70s? That would leave them no money, like zero. So yeah, VA allows it. Not necessarily in the front end, but the back end ratio, it will allow it. So the catch is, and a lot of loan officers don't know this, is that on VA loans, you have to pass something called a residual test, right? Res residual income test, which is basically, it's not just the regular ratio, but it's minus all these things, meaning like the, the home square footage, in mm -hmm. addition to like state taxes, local taxes, has to be considered into that computation. So what happens is a lot of loan officers will get, like, are you familiar with underwriting findings, like AUS? No. So an AUS approval is basically when we run the, the loan through automated underwriting system, which okay. tells us if the loan is approved eligible. Okay. Loan officers, I mean, you should know what that is. So when loan officers see that, they're like, yeah, the loan's good to go. But on VA, it doesn't really show that. It doesn't take it into anticipation unless you're putting the numbers in manually, which okay. most loan officers don't know how to do themselves, including myself. That's why I have a VA underwriter to do it for me if I need them to. So they'll put that into contract and that deal dies within a week and then they're done. So when it comes to pre-approving, we're obviously collecting everything up front, you know, IDs, documentation, blood sample, footprint, everything. And it's not just like, collecting all that information, it's your ability to analyze it. 
So you'll get a lot of loan officers who will get this documentation up front and then they don't know how to calculate income. And there are circumstances where I don't know how to do it on this certain file because it's set up in a weird way. Or there's a guideline which is in like kind of a gray area and I need some clarification on. And I can call an underwriter and say, hey, this is the scenario, send the docs. Good, or, you know, good to go, yes or no, let me know. And that's it. So if you do everything up front, so I'll give you some interesting stats. So our average uh, CTC timeframe, well, this is for me specifically, is 17.9 days. Clear to close. Yeah, thank you. 17.9 days. Wow, that, that that's really good. That includes refi. So on purchases alone, it's like 20 point something days. That's still amazing. Yeah, thank you. So the, the way that we do that, and this is the other stat, is our submission to funding rate, meaning if a loan goes into the pipeline, 99.8% mm -hmm. chance that it will close. Okay. So the way we're able to accomplish that is because we structure the files perfect, as perfectly as possible from the very beginning. Right? So if you do that as a loan officer, your stress level will be so freaking low. It's amazing. Like when I was closing three to five deals a month, my stress level was five times higher than it is now, right? Because back then I didn't know nearly as much as I do now. Our system wasn't as good. Madison, I'm not going to get into all of it, but we have like an upfront underwriting desk as well. Submission team that, you know, before a file even goes into underwriting, they're triple checking everything. Yeah. But ultimately at the end of the day, it's on the loan officer. The loan officer, you have to do a good job of structuring the file upfront. This way you don't have to worry when it goes in. What's the hardest part of your job? Managing client expectations. And I would say checking them, like putting them in their place. Yeah. <laughs> you got a very aggressive look to you when you said that. Yeah. It's, and you kind of, yeah, kind of puffed out. I did. A, I had to, little, I got to do, do a little lat spread. <laughs> um, it's absolutely the, the hardest part because they'll try and dictate the pace of how certain things, they have an idea of how certain things should be done. Mm -hmm. And as a loan officer, you are the expert, right? You're the one handling the file at this stage of the process from start to finish. You cannot allow them to tell you how it's going to go down. You have to be the leader. You're the experienced one. You're the expert. So it's really, again, it's, it's checking them and it's putting them in their place. I'm That's not saying like, say to the buyer, fuck you, this is how it goes. You know, it's just, you do it in a professional manner and set correct expectations. That's all that it is. I actually, I thought you would, what I consider the hardest part of the loan process is, and maybe it's changing now with different systems, is uh, processing. Really? Why do you say that? I don't know. I just, I always felt like loans took a very, and again, I've never had the pleasure of working with you. I hope I get to see We actually have. Which one? We did, I forget the name of it. It was a deal that we did, it was last summer or the summer before. Femi was the agent on it. And was we, that the Roosevelt house? I, th I think so. That might have been it. I remember that. I think I remember the house. But um, I don't remember that time frame. I'm sorry. I do. It was a little bit over 20 days. Fuck, that's fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you. Why didn't you call me? <sighs> Busy. <laughs> I should have. Getting, getting loans closed in 20 days. I should have. Because um, outside of that and Cardinal, I've never... Dude, this it, this stuff I've had nothing but horror, horror, just horror show. And I was like, why is the underwriting pro like, why is the processing process so difficult? Um, and I guess maybe that's changed with systems and stuff like that. But in the past, that's what I thought would be the hardest thing because you as a loan officer, and 
maybe again, not in your company, but I'm sure you have it in other companies. You might be a great, somebody might be a great loan officer and they're going out and they're bringing in a ton of business. Yeah. And then they pass the file off and it's like, what the fuck goes on? That happened. So we're lucky that Shah's done a really amazing job in tightening processing. So our, our processing department is just insane. Like they have very strict pro uh, protocols and turnaround times. So another advantage that we have is that because we're a broker, we're not a bank. Mm -hmm. um, the Explain the difference so people understand. So or maybe just so I understand. The, so the easiest way to really say it is that brokers are basically wholesale and yeah. we're we're sending it directly to the lender that's going to service the loan so you can go out to any bank basically and shop this thing to get the best number yes perfect okay yes. got it so and it's but it's a combination of two things you also have to pick a lender that can process the file quickly as well so we we tend we have like i don't know over 70 lenders right but we stick to maybe three or four do you have really in-house in underwriting though because of that we don't have in-house underwriting we do have underwriters on staff okay right because we use them as a resource they help manage our pipeline got it um but so another common misconception this is a fun one is that like brokers don't have control over operations right especially underwriting so I used to work in retail. I worked for a retail bank for seven years okay. and it was actually the opposite effect because when you're a loan officer, your license is parked at that particular bank. Mm -hmm. So if my file is stuck with so-and-so underwriter, they're like, Ben's not going to go anywhere because his license is here. Meanwhile, if I send a deal to, let's say for instance, uh, United Wholesale Mortgage, who I send most of my loans to, they're like, if I do a shitty job on this file or I'm taking too long, Ben's going to pull the file and send it to someone else. Uh, right? And if I call the underwriter, uh, they pick up immediately. Yeah. Because they know if they're not giving Ben or Madison good service. You're going somewhere else. Yeah. So that's, so that's how it works. I think we should address probably the biggest misconception, which is people may think that because you're a broker, that it's going to be more expensive to go with you, which is actually not the truth. So this is a funny one, is that people will say that because you're a broker, I have to pay a middleman fee. And the truth is, you're paying a middleman fee no matter what, right? All loan officers are middlemen, mm -hmm. all of us, right? So we all have to get paid somehow. The difference is, is that we're able to send it to a lender with the lowest rate and the lowest cost, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. So there isn't a specific cost with going to a broker because the lender ends up paying us directly. So we don't need to charge the consumer directly, mm -hmm. right? So which is pretty much the same way it works at actual banks, but that's the misconception, which is not true. So, so people understand, you basically have carte blanche to go send deals anywhere you want where you're gonna get your client the best rate. Yeah. As opposed to if you are working at a mortgage bank, they're doing the deal. So whatever products they have at whatever rates they are offering, that you're, you're stuck there. You got Good, it. bad, or indifferent. Yeah. You're stuck with their processing. You're stuck with... Exactly. You're stuck. And they change their margins all the time. So I'll let you in on another little secret, which I shouldn't be divulging. But Understanding I'm, how mm. you guys like make money with that chart is one of the most confusing things I've ever seen. Which chart? I, I don't even understand. Like I, I, literally, I look at it for two seconds and I'm like, yeah, I can't look at this. You guys have this chart with this rate chart with the spreads and the this and the that. I mean, if I did it, I would get it, but you don't know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I think so. So it, it's really just showing the pricing yeah. of the loans. Yeah. But, and then depending on what company you're looking at, it, it builds some of the spread into it. So with wholesale, it's a little bit different because 
I think this is part of Dodd-Frank, is that the maximum compensation that a broker can get is 2.75%. Okay. Right, so our margins are lower. We make a little bit less money. Meanwhile, like the average bank on what we call Fraud Hollow Road, right, is making 400 to 500 bips a file. And really? Then, yeah. So, yeah. So, and then on top of it, our... Fraud Hollow? Fraud Hollow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to mention any names specifically, but you know who you are, you fucking criminals. Um, so, what they do is that a lot of these banks are charging... That's a clip. <laughs> Um, a lot of these banks, and I'm not referring to anyone that you mentioned, and I also yeah. don't know everyone's margins these days, but basically the loan officers are making individually like, again, 400 to 500 bips a file. Some are making less. It depends on the lender. I've spoken to a few guys. And then on top of it, the banks themselves get, are getting paid anywhere from 150 to 300 bips a file for selling the loan to a specific investor. Got it. Yeah. So Fuck, there's so much money. It's, it's a ton. It's, and then keep in mind, on top of that, you get, like, if you retain the loan, you're getting paid on servicing the yeah. loan as well. So it's like there are so many layers. Oh, and, God. like, us as loan officers think, yeah, we're crushing it. Like, you have no idea what goes on in the secondary market and how these, you know, patch these loans up, securitize them, sell them to Wall Street. There's, we're fucking losers. But, yeah, so our advantage really is that our rates are cheaper by design. Mm-hmm. And the wholesale lenders have to compete for our business, so yeah. um, so it's easy. It's like taking candy from a baby, honestly. And another, this is the the little secret that I wanted to get into is that a lot of these lenders on Fraud Hollow Road, what they'll do is that they will pad. Yeah, you can clip that I one love too. That shit. I want to make it into a shirt. Yeah, I I wish that I came up with it. I didn't. Uh, I I actually yeah I heard it from someone maybe five years ago. Yeah, we'll find out who they are. The rule them. is you credit the first time you use it, you credit the other person, and after that, you credit yourself. Five years is a long time, bro. Yeah. You, you could be the Fraud Hollow That's Road true. guy who says that. Fraud Hollow Road. So, what they'll do is pad specifically FHA and VA loans, okay. and they'll make more money on them. Got it. Right? So, the, yeah. these guys are incentivized to put people into FHA and VA. Which, in many cases, especially VA, in my opinion, the VA loan is the best loan product on the planet. But FHA is often not the best uh, option for someone. Why do you think that VA is the best loan? Zero, zero down payment okay. and no mortgage insurance and interest rates that are almost identical or often identical to FHA, which on average is a half a percent to a full percent lower than conventional. Hundred percent mortgage, no mortgage insurance. Yeah. Same rate. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That is, that's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. So what they'll do is they'll put people into an FHA loan so the loan officer can make a little bit more money on it or a lot more money on it. Uh, same with VA. Then again, VA is often better for them anyway. Um, and then they'll use that to kind of cover their losses on conventional loans. Whereas we as brokers make the same amount on every single loan that we do because we're capped. Right, so we, our incentive is to give the consumer the best deal humanly possible, so you know they get a great deal and they refer us business. So, to to bring it to a close, I'm going to ask you the question that everybody wants to know, which uh -oh. Uh -oh. which is good that I, I that we record this stuff because later on we can look back and see like were we right, were we not right? Yeah. What's going to go on with rates and the market in the next? six to 12 months? I believe that once we feel the impact of this incoming recession, mm -hmm. rates are gonna dip in Q1 or Q2 of next year, 
they're not going to go back down to like the twos or the threes, but they're going to drop maybe one to two percent unless we're in for some so, like, crazy depression type. Take shit. me through this. Where do you think where do you think rates end up by like the end of this year, beginning of the next in next year? I think it's possible, but by the end of this year, that rates climb a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they don't, but it's definitely like, because if you think about like how much Well, today's money, the day, like today's the day we find out. Yeah, right? well, it's going up by, by 0.75, but then again, the Fed funds rate- Is that confirmed? Um, or is it, because they were, they were going back and forth between that and one, and then some people were like, maybe it'll be 1.5, it should. It's, I don't think it's confirmed, but with that said, like the, the mortgage market, mortgage-backed securities specifically take that into consideration already, yeah. right? So what happens often when the Fed announcement hits, rates actually go down. Not all the time, but often. So I think that by the end of the year, the rates will probably be where they are now. They may spike a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then these, uh, I think Amazon just announced it yesterday that they're laying off like one, two percent of their entire staff, right? Yep. A million people or something. Yep. Um, so once everything like the, the ball keeps rolling and we're feeling that that effect you're going to see more layoffs and the biggest sign of an incoming recession and ultimately rates dipping is low employment numbers right yeah. Me- meaning Unpl- a lo- a higher lot of, unemployment. Yeah, higher well actually no the opposite higher employment so right now we're at record low um, employment so typically within six months to a year the layoffs come the employment rises recession hits and rates go down. So I think, again, beginning of next year, they'll go down to like 3 to 4%, and people will refi. It will stay there for a couple years, and then rates are going to go back up to the 5s, 6s, 7s, which I think is healthy, mm. right? I don't think rates should stay at 2 to 4% forever. It's freaking crazy. I think if they lower rates, we're fucked. Yeah. No, no, like, I think if they lower rates, the world will come to an end. Why? I'm curious. So what I really think should happen, mm. and we're, we're just, we're throwing it out there. Could be right, could be wrong, right? We got bad inflation. Yeah. Rates gotta be higher, way higher. Like they really should put eights like into the, they really put, should put rates into like the nines. Yeah. But they're not going to. So the government- It will rate, crush everything. Everything will come to a standstill. Yes, but it would at least, it would fuck us for like six to 12 months, but then it would settle down and inflation would chill and we could go about our life considering they, they made this problem yeah. by giving everybody still free money, which they're still doing, right? But instead, they're not going to do that. They're going to bring rates, maybe they'll bring rates up a little bit, low sixes, mid sixes, whatever. Maybe. Maybe they'll stay around where they are right now. But like you said, everything will, people, you know, layoffs, whatever. Government simulates the economy two ways, right? Mm. One is they spend money. The other way is mortgage rates go down, they buy bonds, right? What happens when you already have 9% inflation and you decide to put more money into the system? It's going to get worse. Exactly. Yeah. So what'll happen, in my opinion, is they'll drop their rates with this, this bullwhip theory, which is, I'm starting to think like this shit's going to happen. And if they do that, we're going to get six to 12 months of absolute pandemonium again. People are going to be buying like crazy. And then we are going to be effed on a level like I can't explain. I don't think so because inventory is still crazy low, right? It's slowly it climbing. Doubled. I think it's, it it's doubled. What, 1.2 it, right now, something like that? No. I checked the other day. It is, so it was at, in Suffolk, it was 1.7 months. In Nassau, it was 1.8 months. And now, last I checked a few days ago, it was 2.7 and 3.0. So, it's moving. Yeah. 
So now you have crazy inflation, which too much money in the system. Now you're going to put more in? Yeah, but if everyone has been laid off, you have less demand. So like something that people consistently talk about is supply and demand, supply and demand. Demand is obviously going to go down if, you know, if 10, 15% of the country isn't working. If I come out of this podcast being able to say demand, do it, do it, <laughs> demand, like you, this would be a fucking epic win. Um, I understand what you're saying, but like, I think they're going to have to jack rates at that point to like some insane double digit number to try to eventually get it under control. Probably. Or it'll be like Venezuela or whatever, where they're like burning dollars in the streets because they just aren't worth shit. Yeah. That, that's another thing. Like a side of me thinks that, and I try to like subdue this side of me is that we're potentially approaching that, that the past two years has been so batshit insane. Yeah. Like we're going to end up there. We're not feeling it now. We're in this weird, like uh, not even the eye yeah. of the storm, we're, we're, we're like approaching it. We're not going to see the effects of this for maybe another year or two. So my buddy put it perfectly the other day, not the same scenario, but he's like, it's 2006 right now. He's like, everybody, there's some cracks showing, but everybody thinks everything's fine. That's a great way of putting it. It's not 2008. Like, that's why I'm like, I'm fucking selling everything I can. I'm underwriting new deals at like 15% discount, right? All that crap. If they lower rates, if they drop rates like 2%, like you said, I will shit myself. Yeah. In I, a way. I don't think they will. It will smell awful. Yeah. No, it'll, we're fucked. They cannot do Shit. that. They, they cannot do that. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be fucked. But, but like, can they not? Like, can they not I mean, they can. It print would, 40% of the... It, it would be idiotic, which is the Fed is known to do. You know what I've known about, learned about government very recently is? You look at them and you think they're like very, very smart, right? You're like, these people are ruling the world, running the world. They are really smart. It's a bunch of monkeys with guns just firing everywhere. Yeah, I don't even, well, that's definitely part of that, but everything that they do, and I'm gonna sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I think it's really just, not propaganda, but everything that they do is designed to keep us calm and in our place. That's really it, right? If they're like- This is some V for Vendetta shit. Yeah, great movie, by the way. Yeah. That, was, that was in well, England, wasn't it? It was, Natalie was Portman. Great fucking movie. She crushed it, yeah, great movie. Um, yeah, I, I think it really is to like just keep us on the hamster wheel and you know making money, you know paying our taxes, happy and or happy and you know to keep us calm. Everything that, that they do is designed for that. It's not to really really help us. I think like the corruption level, it's just legal corruption. Yeah. But it's not it's not for us. In any event, I appreciate you coming, bro. Thank you. For Wealth and knowledge. Awesome to finally meet you. If people are looking for a mortgage, how do they get hold of you? Um, call me. Uh, 917-670-7878 or hit me up on my Instagram, blavmtg. Biatch. Avi, if you have a house that smells like cat pee, dated from the 1960s, you know this. I'm quick. I'm easy. I'm a good time. I'm going to buy it at a 15% discount today than I would have a couple months ago. Sorry about that, but it's the nature of the beast. You should have sold it to me three months ago. I'm out. That was awesome. Good, right? Fun. Thank you.